Well, we continue our uh, series this morning on uh, keys to spiritual growth, and uh, in the last few messages, we have been addressing the issue of spiritual warfare. Uh, last week, uh, we looked at the church's champion, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to earth in a daring raid uh, to rescue mankind from captivity to the devil. Jesus demonstrated his superior power over the devil when he de defeated the devil in the wilderness temptations. Then Jesus dispossessed the devil of his human captives through his death on the cross. And then finally, Jesus disarmed the devil uh, through his resurrection from the dead. Therefore, as we saw last week, the church does not fight to win the victory. We actually fight from a position of victory, a victory that has already been won for us by our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God, Jesus has never lost a battle to the devil, and he won't ever in the future as well. Uh, and this is why uh, the great passage in Ephesians 6 on the church's armor begins by saying, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So our ultimate victory is staying close to Jesus, following Jesus, our champion, knowing that he will be the victor. Now, this does not mean uh, we do not have a formidable foe in the devil. Uh, we do. But his power and his authority has been broken by Jesus. All the devil has left is a bluffing game, and he is great at it. He uses fear. He uses intimidation, accusation, lies, and deception to try to manipulate you, to defeat you, uh, to control you. Uh, the illustration I closed last Sunday's message with uh, summed it up very well. Do you remember that message? We talked about that little butterfly uh, that became frightened because he was being attacked uh, by a sparrow. And the more the, uh, the more the sparrow tried to attack that little butterfly, the more frightened it became, fluttering around, uh, banging up against everything, damaging its wings to where it eventually could not fly, and it eventually died. But the sad thing was that there was a pane of window between the sparrow and the butterfly. And if the butterfly would have only realized that, he would have understood no matter how close the sparrow seemed to be uh, that he was safe. And we saw that if you're a child of God, Jesus has slid a pane of glass between you and the devil. Amen? And that glass is red, uh, tinted with his blood. So Satan can peck at you. He can seem very close right in your face. But he can't touch you without God's permission. We read in 1 John 5.18, the evil one cannot touch the child of God. The evil one cannot touch the child of God. And if God does give the devil permission to touch you, it's only because he knows he can cause it to work for your spiritual good, your spiritual growth, and his greater glory, as we see in the book of Job, as we discover in the life of Joseph, or in the life of Paul, and so many of the other Bible characters. So the question is this, when the devil gets in your face, 
and he starts pecking at you, when he starts tempting you, accusing you, lying to you, trying to scare you, are you calling the devil's bluff? Or are you, like the butterfly, falling to the devil's bluff and destroying yourself? So we need to look to Jesus, our champion. And of course, we counter the devil's bluffs with what? With God's truth. And today, we want to begin looking at the armor that God has provided us, not only to stand firm against the devil's bluffs, but to actually take the offensive to the devil in spreading the gospel and advancing the kingdom of Christ. Uh, we'll probably only have time maybe to look at the first two pieces of that armor, and we'll save the rest for next week. But let's begin uh, by reading there in your sermon notes, Ephesians 6, verses 11, 12, and 13. Then I just want to make four just very quick uh, observations from these verses before we begin to look at the first two pieces of armor. Paul wrote, put on the full armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Four quick observations. Number one, life is war. Life is war. Living on planet Earth is not a playground. It is a battlefield. John Piper, the great pastor uh, up north, wrote this, from the gradle Cradle to the grave, life is war. Your soul, your mind, your body, your family, your career are fields of conflict. Until Satan is finally thrown into the lake of fire, our peace with God will have to be a vigilant peace because Satan will certainly give us no peace if we are at peace with God. The second observation, the war is against supernatural evil powers. The wars against supernatural evil powers. And this does not mean that flesh and blood cannot hurt or hinder the cause of Christ. But it is a recognition that behind those attacks are evil powers who use people as their pawns. Therefore, to obtain true victory, we must attack the source. We must attack the evil powers that are manipulating the human pawns. The third observation, there is the danger of defeat. There is the danger of defeat. This is obvious in the repeated admonition to stand firm, which means literally to hold a critical position when under attack. There is the danger. There is the danger, like the butterfly to fall to the devil's bluff, to run in fear from the battle in defeat and surrender territory to the devil. But the fourth observation, praise him, God has made provision for victory. God has made provision for victory. This is the primary truth in Ephesians 6. God has provided the armor we need to stand firm and win the victory. But of course... 
This implies what? That we put the armor on. That we utilize it in battle. So let's look now at the armor that God has uh, provided for us in spiritual warfare, uh, which the Apostle Paul, of course, patterned after the armor and the weapons of a Roman soldier in his day. So look at the first piece of armor, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And let me share... uh, I'll be sharing many other verses that you don't find in your sermon notes, so uh, just be attentive to that, and if you'd like to get those references down, uh, I'll give them to you, and you can jot them down in your notes. The belt of truth. Ephesians 6, verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. A Roman soldier wore a long tunic that flowed to the ground. Uh, there was a slit cut out for his head and his arms. He'd go over, and it went all the way to the ground. It was his primary piece of clothing. But when it came time to go into battle, he would tuck that tunic into his belt so that he would have mobility in battle. So he wouldn't get all tangled up in that, with that tunic as he was in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. And the belt also held his sword. The, real, the key phrase here is that phrase, having girded your loins. Having girded your loins. That phrase is used often in the Bible. And without exception, it always means to be ready, to be prepared. So the main thought here in verse 14 about the belt of truth is that we are to be ready. We are to be prepared to do battle with the powers of evil. The belt that girds everything securely together for the believer, making him ready for battle, is what? Truth. It's the belt of truth. And truth is the Greek word aletheia, which has sort of two meanings. One, it refers to the content of truth. Uh, A second meaning to the attitude of truth. And I believe both are in play here. Therefore, what prepares the believer for battle is first the content of God's truth. The fact that God has given us an absolute objective standard by which we can discern between truth and error, between good and evil, between friend and foe. But we need to wed that with the right attitude and being totally committed and sold out to what? To live the truth, to practice the truth in our lives. So look at the application there in your sermon notes, and I've tried to be very practical here. So when we talk about putting on the belt of truth, we're talking about being prepared and ready to follow Christ into battle regardless of sacrifice and cost. That's what it means to put on the belt of truth. That I'm prepared, I'm ready to follow Jesus, my champion, my Lord, into battle. And regardless of the sacrifice, regardless the cost, regardless the price. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It captures this thought well. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. A good soldier is one whose focus is on the completion of the mission and everything else becomes secondary. 
He will not allow himself to become entangled in anything that will distract him from accomplishing the mission. As soldiers of Jesus Christ, we have a mission. And it's called the Great Commission. Our mission is to go into the world, to spread, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples of men and women, boys and girls. Our focus is to be on the completion of that mission, and everything else must become secondary to that. A good soldier is also one who, in the heat of the battle, follows the orders of his commanders instead of following his feelings. Sadly, the devil is defeating many believers because how they feel is more important than what God says. You know, we've had so many soldiers that have come through this church, and I've had the opportunity to get uh, to know many of them, to get close to them. I've led Bible studies with them. I've had the opportunity to uh, hear them share about some of their combat experiences, ask them questions. And I've actually had, uh, I think, two soldiers in, uh, over all these years that uh, told me that uh, in their combat experiences, when they were in the battlefield and in the, in the heat and thick of things, they actually knew no fear. But they were the exceptions. All the other soldiers I've talked to said, no, I, I knew fear on the battlefield. But they said they realized they could not let that fear dictate their actions. They had a mission to complete. So they focused on that mission. They focused on their training, their equipping. They focused on their orders. And folks, the same thing we have to do as soldiers of Christ. You cannot let feelings dictate your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to act on his truth, knowing that as you step out in faith, God will empower you to complete the mission. And it's very obvious why the first piece of armor is the belt of truth. Because you will never, ever stand firm against the attacks of the devil until you are ready to fight. Standing firm on God's truth and committed to complete the mission to advance the gospel of Christ even unto death if necessary. Remember our champion, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the heat of the battle when he was struggling with his feelings, when he was struggling with his emotions, eaten up with depression and anxiety and terror. He said, not my will, but what? Thine be done. And then we're told that he went on to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If we as soldiers of Christ do not go into spiritual warfare with that same attitude and commitment, we are doomed to defeat before we ever step onto the battlefield. We need to imprint on the belt of truth. Paul's motto, for to me to live is what? Christ, and to die is gain. And you remember the verse right before that, he says, this is my hope, this is my expectation, this is my passion and desire, that I won't be put to shame in anything. 
I won't be put to shame in life's contest. I won't have to look back with regret. But that Christ right now, as always, would be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, look at the second piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness, that latter part of verse 14, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. No Roman soldier in his right mind would go into battle without his breastplate on. The metal breastplate actually began at the base of his neck, and it went all the way down to the top of his thighs, and it covered both front and back. Uh, Its primary purpose was to protect the soldier's heart and his vital organs in the midsection of his body. It's important to realize that the Jews associated the heart with our thoughts, with our thinking process. And I could give you many verses to indicate this, even some of Christ's teachings. But for example, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his what? Heart. So is he. They associated the midsection of the body, what they called bowels, with feelings and emotions. And it's easy to see why, because often our emotions cause what? Feelings in our stomach. Now think with me. Think with me a moment. The devil attacks you primarily in two areas. In our thinking and how we respond emotionally to life circumstances. And what he does, he will try to turn your mind away from your champion, away from his truth. And then he will fill your mind with lies, with half-truths, with doubts, with ungodly thoughts, anxious thoughts, depressed thoughts, even false doctrine. He will play on the vulnerability of your emotions to drown you in negative feelings so that he can overcome your will and paralyze you in unbelief and sin. Our mind and our feelings need protection, and that is what the breastplate is for. Notice, it is the breastplate of what? Of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness that God protects us with is both God's imputed righteousness, but it also, I believe, is referring to a practical righteousness. As we live out that righteousness in integrity and obedience to His Word. You know, last week, I shared with you a beautiful illustration out of the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 2. I won't go over that again, but we were talking about that certificate of debt against the sin. Remember that? And how Jesus nailed that to the cross, and that certificate of debt was the list of our sins that we could never repay. But again, Jesus nailed it on the cross. He paid the penalty for us. And that's why one of his very last words on the cross, he cried out what? It is finished. One word in the Greek text, telestai, meaning what? Debt paid in full. So Satan at one time, he held your certificate of debt if you're a believer. He held it. That's why you were his possession. That's why he controlled you. You were his captive. And you were doomed to eternal punishment. But Jesus 
took that certificate of debt, he paid the debt, and then he stamped on it, debt paid in full. So that any time the devil comes to accuse you, you can take that right there, debt paid in full, not on the basis of my, what I did, but on the faces, basis of his finished work. But listen, beloved, listen, listen carefully. Not only, not only did Jesus pay your sin debt, he also credited your account with all his righteousness. I mean, he just dumped all of his righteousness right into your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And all of this is a free gift. It's not on the basis of works which we have done, but by his mercy we are saved. It's a free gift to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But listen now, but the fact that Christ's righteousness has been credited to my account to give me a right standing with God, a relationship with God that can never be broken, that brings me into the love of God that will never let me go, an eternal love. The fact that all, that all that is mine does not mean... I always live as I ought to, right? None of us do. We're all struggling in the process of growth. But it does guarantee that I can. And the reason it guarantees that I can is because through the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of my sin and failure, I have the boldness to go right into God's presence, to confess my sin, knowing that he is just and righteous to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of what? All unrighteousness. But listen, I don't stop there. I also come into God's presence through the blood and righteousness of Jesus to present my life to God and to be, to be empowered by God to live out what we read in Romans 6. Listen to these verses, Romans 6, 11, 12, and 13. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body as sin, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Every single day. I go into God's presence, and I say, God, as I step into the light of your holiness, realizing that the only reason I can even come is through the blood and righteousness of Christ, Lord, I'm asking you to search me and try me, see if there be any evil or hurtful way in me. God, right now, in your presence, through the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit, point out anything in my life that has grieved you, that has dishonored you, that has displeased you. Give me the grace not only to confess it and to forsake it, but now return after Christ as my first love. And then I go on and I say, Lord, in light, of the mercies you have demonstrated to me and in light of the, sal the gift of salvation you've given to me, I present to you now 
my body, my soul, my spirit, my mind, my will, my emotions, all that I am, all that I possess, I lay it on the cross as a living sacrifice, realizing that the only reason you can find my sacrifice on that cross as acceptable and holy is because that cross was sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ transformed the cross into an instrument that justifies us, pardons us from all sin, that sanctifies us, that creates in us a new heart, and praise God, one day will glorify us as we will be literally taken out of the presence of sin to know perfect purity and holiness. And I ask him to give me the grace that I would walk continually in the light as Jesus is in the light. In other words, walking in the light has the idea of being always honest, always transparent about our failures, about our sin. Knowing that as I walk in that light, all through the day I have, and as I'm honest, the blood of Jesus, what? Cleanses me. From all sin. The life that is victorious over the powers of evil is the life that practices righteousness. Look at the application there in your sermon notes. The application is maintaining clear thinking and stable emotions in the heat of the battle by practicing righteousness. That's what the breastplate of righteousness is it's maintaining clear thinking and stable emotions in the heat of the battle by practicing righteousness. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. It says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. In other words, in the heat of the battle, keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow him in righteousness, and he will always lead you to victory. And this is why the Bible constantly reminds us to keep our thoughts and our emotions focused on Jesus. Hebrews 3.1, fix your thoughts on Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, always think about Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.1, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I love the latter half of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the way it reads in the paraphrase, the message. Fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. Look in your notes at Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. This sums it up very well. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Verses 12 and 13 here in the Phillips version. I, I've always loved the Phillips version, sort of an obscure version, uh, translation of the New Testament. Actually, actually, an excellent translation of the New Testament. He wrote, let us fling away the things that men do in the dark. Let us arm ourselves for the fight of the day. Let us be Christ men from head to foot and give no chances to the flesh to have its fling. 
In other words, kill sin before it kills you. And how do you do that? We've talked about this many times from this pulpit because it's such a key to the Christian life and to no victory. We have to nip it in the bud in our thought life. You have to bounce your thoughts immediately off of any inappropriate thoughts, any anxious thoughts, negative thoughts. And through prayer, run to your righteous commander, Jesus, and focus on His Word, bringing your thoughts and emotions in harmony with His truth and righteousness. You know, you know. as I close, let me just be very transparent with you for a moment. I won't go into detail, but I have a thorn in the flesh. It's a chronic medical condition. Now, it pales in comparison to what many of you deal with. But... Uh, but it's something that I live with 24-7. There's nothing can be done for it. Uh, sometimes it causes pain. Most of the time it is just an annoying, annoying irritant. And, uh, but you just have to learn to live with it. It sort of becomes your new norm, but it's a norm that you really don't enjoy. But I learned, I learned, and I can honestly say before God is my witness, this is true. I learned by God's grace two or three years ago that and and, and and here it's very easy and many many of you have struggled with different things whether it's a chronic condition or a temporary condition you, you know you do tend to become discouraged don't you it tends to wear you down it can, tends to beat you down you can become ner, ner, uh, discouraged you can become very negative you can become very very and i learned several years ago that i had to nip that in the bud and ever since then, the moment, I'm talking about the moment any discouraging thought comes, any negative thought comes, anything, I nip that in the bud. And I turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you that he is a sovereign God in control. I thank him that he, the nearness to God is my good. Therefore, anything that draws me nearer to him is good for me. And if he's going to use this thorn in the flesh... To bring out my dependence on me, on him, to draw me to him, to lean on him, praise him for that. And then I asked God to give me the grace two or three years ago that, and folks, there's innumerable opportunities through the day for this. I said, give me the grace that when that thorn in the flesh inflicts me, it's your reminder to me to pray for others. And that's what I've done now. I mean, the moment discouragement begins to set in or complain or anything, I turn to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, it'd be great if you would heal. But if you don't heal, there's your enduring grace. And your power is going to be perfected my weakness. And Lord, I want to use this now as a reminder to pray for others who are struggling, that are hurting. Like a Jeremy Williams, for example. And when you think of Jeremy, you think, what kind of problem do I have in light of that? But I, I, I use as a prompt, and I've prayed for many of you over these last few years. Uh, and at all times of day and night, uh, as I was prompted by God. But that's the type of attitude that we have. It, it, it means being deliberate and intentional in turning from those inappropriate thoughts that are just going to take you down a bad path. And turning to my champion, Jesus, putting my eyes on him, 
seeing his worth and his value, his loveliness, to praise him, to honor him, and then use that as a prompt to what? Engage in the battle, to go forward, not to retreat, but to go forward, knowing when I am weak, what? He is strong. Therefore, the first two pieces of armor that we need to put on, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, and next week, hopefully, we'll be able to look at those remaining pieces of armor. Would you bow in prayer with me? As we go to the Lord in prayer, let me just give you an opportunity to reflect on the truth. Let me first ask you, are you confident that you possess Christ's imputed righteousness? Have you personally placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you have the confidence that He has canceled out your sin debt as He took your punishment for you and that He credited to your account all His righteousness and now you have a right standing with God? Well, if you don't know Jesus, you have that opportunity this morning. Jesus is reaching out to you in His love. He wants to bring you out of captivity to the devil into his glorious kingdom of light, liberty, and love. And I would implore you to turn to Jesus, to invite him into your heart as you acknowledge your sin, but as you thank him for paying the penalty of your sin and raising from the dead to offer you life now. So put your faith, put your trust in him. But of course, this message has been primarily to believers. And we've been talking about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Let me ask you, have you put on the belt of truth? Can you honestly say, yes, I am a soldier of Christ. I'm prepared. I'm ready to go into battle, to advance the gospel, regardless of sacrifice and cost. I have a mission to complete, and everything else is secondary to that mission. And I'm committed not to follow my feelings, but to follow the orders of my commander, knowing that his grace will be sufficient. If you're not there, just ask God, by his grace, to get you ready, to get you prepared, to know the belt of truth, to become that faithful soldier of Christ who's willing to endure hardness, not entangling himself in matters that would distract you from accomplishing the mission he's given you. And then, are you putting on the breastplate of righteousness? Praise Him for that imputed righteousness that gives us right standing before Him. Praise Him that there's nothing I did to win His love. Therefore, there's nothing I can do to lose His love, that I'm secure. And anything else the devil would tell me is just a lie. Once caught by God, there is no escape. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He loves me with an eternal love. But as we shared, that doesn't automatically guarantee that we're going to live as we ought. 
we have to take that righteousness that has been imputed and imparted to us and live it out, practice it as we follow our champion, Jesus. And so have you put on the breastplate of righteousness with a commitment to follow him in right living, to turn from sin, to follow him in right living, and to let that righteousness maintain proper thinking and proper emotions in the heat of the battle. And I would encourage you to do so. Father, uh, speak to our hearts. Lord, let your truth change us. Let your truth grow us. Lord, soldiers that we have here in the church, they requires training. It requires equipping. There's a process to become ready and prepared to go into battle. And Lord, it's the same with us as soldiers of Christ. So, Lord, do whatever it takes to make us fit for battle. And then, Lord, uh, give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, knowing that it's in your righteousness that we find our protection. And I pray that Satan would never find a chink in our armor as we look to you in our failures, confessing our sin, knowing you will cleanse us, but then renewing our surrender, presenting our members to you uh, to follow you in battle, to be your instruments to win the day. For it's in Christ's name we do pray, amen.